Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, listeners. This is your friendly reminder at the top of the episode to join our Patreon. You can give to the Wallen family for $3, $5, even $1 a month. I want to shout out two new patrons that just joined the party. We have Tara or Tara. You know who I am. You know, tell me in the Patreon streets, okay, which one you prefer. Tara, welcome to the Patreon. Also, we have um, another patron, but they didn't really give their name, but the the, the characters are 4J, then there's like a loop-de-loop, and there's like an E. We love you just as much, friends, and thank you both for joining our Patreon. And everybody else, you can find the link to the Patreon in the show notes. Reminder, at the end of each month, we will be giving away a book that we have covered on the show. So this month, we are giving away Binti on November 30th. So please be sure to join so you can be in the running to get that book. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about black science fiction and fantasy and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today for episode 62, we'll be interviewing Patricia Jackson on her first novel, her new novel, Foraging a Nightmare. And it is good, y'all. It's good. It comes out today. So please support your independent bookstores and get Foraging a Nightmare. Before we get into this great interview, just want to shout out some of y'all that's been showing us love in those Apple podcast screens. If you're like Amber, Ben, finances are tight. I can't be giving y'all my money. I got to pay my bills. Well, one way you can give back is writing a review for the show. So let's read three and then we're going to jump into our interview. This one's from Toschi FJHKF. Love it. I love being able to see the relationship dynamic like mine. Funny and really enjoyable podcast. Thank you. We got one from Ansley Gill that says, thank you. Simply just thank you. Thank you for being you guys through it all. Giving me the hope and motivation to push me through my days. Just knowing I have a few shows to listen and even replay. I love you guys. We love you too, Ansley. And this last one is from Melissa from PNW. Love. I always listen to y'all while I'm driving at work. I really enjoy the back and forth y'all provide, as well as the information, a good balance of knowledge and laughs. Ooh, y'all making me feel so fuzzy on the inside. I love y'all as well. Be sure to keep adding on to those Apple podcasts because those are the things that just really keep us going, as well as you patrons or anybody who's ever downloaded this show. We really appreciate all of y'all's support and supporting black creators in the sci-fi and fantasy genre. Speaking of, let's move on to this fun interview with Patty Jackson, Patricia Jackson, and go by Forging a Nightmare. Let's get into it. Hello. Hey. How are you? I'm doing very well. How about you guys? We are going to try not to fangirl this entire episode. Oh, no, I'll I'll fangirl. I'm I'm, I'm going to fangirl. Yeah. It is so nice to finally meet you guys. I love your videos so much. Oh, my, I cannot even believe, like when Ben told me that, I was like, sure, she watches the videos. <laughs> this is great. But he was like, no, she is very excited to talk to us. Um, so I, we are so excited. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can see this right yeah, now. So but we- this, is, uh, this is what we printed out. <laughs> so for those who can't see, we have, um, uh, we printed out a PDF of all 400 and I think 70 pages. pages. Uh, read it all, the fastest 470 pages ever. So fast. Yeah, um, so but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into all that. Should we like officially start and I should do an introduction? Yes, you should, because I'm just gonna be like, I, mean, I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> so you go ahead and get started, Ben. 
Um, so yeah, uh, Patty, correct? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, we are here today with Patty Jackson, whose debut novel comes out today by the time this, uh, this episode drops forging, uh, forging a nightmare. Uh, so which is the fastest 450 pages or 470 pages Amber and I have ever read. Um, I mean, it's just like fun. It's just unadulterated fun. And I think a year of or continuing like pandemic, this is the book you want to read. <laughs> it's just like very much, um, it, it reads very quickly. So, uh, so thank you, Patty, so much uh, for coming with us and joining us on this interview journey. Uh, and welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci. Yes. It's been very exciting. I can't. I couldn't wait to get here with you guys because you're a lot of fun. Oh yay! We well, try so hard. We do. Sorry, man. I'm trying like not to talk over you because I'm just like excited to be here. Um, before we talk about the book, um, we're gonna try to make this as spoiler free an episode as possible, even though. I'm still pretty uh, heartbroken about Sierra. That, that's the only one. I, I, that's all I'm going to say. Wow. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to, I'll cut that out, but I just, I, there are definitely some people I'm like, now, come on now. This one, this one cut too deep. Uh, but we want to talk first uh, about your life uh, outside of the book. So you're a high school teacher. Yes. Um, I am a former high school teacher. I got out the game after five years and been as a current middle school teacher. How are you surviving this school year? <laughs> I thought last year was hard because we were closed and we were doing remote teaching. This is hard this year. And I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. Um, and all the kids are in, we don't have any remote kids but something is harder. And then what made it more difficult is when we had the book ban of some beautiful books by BIPOC people, about BIPOC people, about LGBTQ people. And I'm kind of like, I'm an English teacher. And I'm like, where did this come from? And that's made it even more difficult. And being one of the teachers that stuck my neck out for this, you know, the attacks have been savage there are some real trolls out there that need to go back under the bridge because their families miss them <laughs> so yeah can yeah can you talk a little bit about um uh where you're from and how the book ban uh has been implemented uh for our listeners go for it um, well i'm from york pennsylvania and i work for the central york school district and the book ban actually happened very quietly in november 2020 um, teachers really weren't aware of it. There was no directive that came down until um, August 11th, 2021. Uh, and teachers have very limited freedom of speech. So there was no questioning it for teachers, but some children took to the banners and took to the forefront. I'm gonna rep my girls. Please the, do. The Panther Anti-Racist Union went to their advisor and they said, what are you gonna do about it? And he said, no, what are you going to do about it? And that's when they started planning some protests and they did some walk-ins every day for a few weeks. And even though I get graced with the title of co-advisor, I'm really just the mom. I'm there with band-aids. I dry some tears. I do the pep <laughs> talks, even for their advisor. And I send them back on the road and then I'm the guard dog. No one comes for them unless they come through me because I'm ready for that. Um, and I'm talking beautiful books, like I Am Enough, 
not quite Snow White. And that particular book is about a little black girl who wants to audition for Snow White, but she's told the part is for white people. So she auditions anyway, and she gets the role. And that one hit real close to home for me because growing up as a writer, I wrote my first little novel when I was eight. My characters were white because I grew up in a white world. And I grew up in a world that told me to be that to be beautiful, you had to have blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. So all my characters were white. And it probably wasn't until I was in my early to mid-20s that I started to experiment with some black characters. Oh, they had dark skin, but that's as far as I would go because my father had told me, you don't draw attention to yourself because that's dangerous. My father grew up in Alabama during a rough time. Um, and forging a nightmare was an exorcism for me to explore my blackness, that it's okay to be black. In fact, it's cool to be black. It is beautiful to be black. My natural hair, dreadlocks, I am a child that grew up with no representation and I will not let that happen to the next generation. My books will have black led casts from here until eternity to show that I'm here and that I matter and I'm represented. So I've heard a lot about the book ban in Texas. And so when you brought up the book ban, I was like, wait, you're in Pennsylvania. Like, so this is real, actually new information for me because I've read I read the um, the rubric for the Texas book ban, which is awful. So like uh, this is this is new to me. I, I'm sort of like what? Yeah, say more about this book book ban. Like, is it just I can't see like Philadelphia doing this, or is it all throughout Pennsylvania? Like, what's yeah, what's going on with this? <laughs> it's throughout the country, and the what's happening is. I call it the new burning cross. This is the new method of indoctrination, but the fear is for white people, not people of color. They throw out words, diversity is Marxism, diversity is communism. If you knew what those isms were, you wouldn't say diversity is any of those things. Um, there was no rubric, there was no measure. We were told that these books would be shelved for a year and that we'd come back to it. Um, well, we, we weren't told it was going to be shelved for a year. We were just told they were shelved. It took a year before anybody looked at these books and no one really still has because you can't tell me why, you know, not quite Snow White would be on a band list. Um, so it just happened. CRT, scary word, um, Black Lives Matter. How that's a scary term, I have no idea. Um, this is just a juxtaposition of people trying to hold on to power to hold on to superiority um, and, and why you need to share the playground with everybody. Mm -hmm. This is a suppression of history. We don't want to talk about those bad things, but they happened. You know, there's a gentleman that comes to the school board meetings that wants to talk about all the people that have been killed for communism, but you don't talk about all the black people that died in the middle passage. You don't talk about all the black people that died during slavery for the name of democracy. You don't talk about that. And why can't we? No one asked you to be ashamed. No one asked you to claim that. No one asked you to feel guilt. We asked you to put it in a room, ugly as it may be, and let's talk about it from all perspectives because that's what history is. You see it from the perspective of where you were coming from, the Native Americans versus the white settlers versus African Americans. And we need to talk about those things so that we can at least talk 
give us a rubric, give us a measure, talk to us about why you're afraid, but I already know why you're afraid because you want to suppress history because winners get to write history and suppress the truth. You're afraid of truth. And I'll say, um, going back to like your experience growing up, I had a very similar experience and it's, it's interesting because it's like, y'all do want to talk about it because I had read four books about the Holocaust before I had read any Toni Morrison, but they like to be like, well, like, let's talk about oppression that's sort of displaced from us so that, so that nobody's the big bad and there's no enemy in the room because that's something only Germany did. And it's like, we had a Holocaust here. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about any of that, but I, but I do want to talk a little bit about, um, because I grew up not so much a, a sci-fi fantasy kid, but just a loving improv and and different like drama theater like that. And so we I, we definitely had a different experience where every school play was you know uh, much to do about just all the school plays were not we didn't do fences at my high school. I'll say that much. And so you do grow up thinking like, well, how am I going to fit? Or, or my school did a uh, Roger Hammerstein Cinderella one year. And so obviously way more uh, black kids wanted to do that one. And I remember not getting Cinderella. I got like hat lady number three and being devastated because I was, I was like, well, damn, they ain't never going. This was our one shot y'all. <laughs> like, like now that I like look back and think about that, uh, it's like, th this is our only role we have to play, which is why we're all just completely mortified that we got cast as these little townspeople and how that doesn't need to happen anymore. Um, so, so speaking to your experience, can we, we did read, um, why by birthright, and we're going to include that for our listeners, because that was just a beautiful journey. But, um, for listeners that haven't gotten a chance to read that yet, could you sort of summarize, I don't know, this, this like turning point for you where you were like, not only are these characters going to be black, but they're going to be bl capital B black, because we do see a lot of that. Um, we, t we talked to Nisi Shaw earlier this year about how characters are just like paintbrush black in things like Bridgerton and they're not really like black. They're just, you know, we, we need to, for this to look diverse, but their experiences are, are not a part of this. So talk to us about what was this big turning point for you and saying like, no, my characters aren't going to be paintbrushed anymore. They're going to be fully actualized, like with locks, black characters, like and all of them, not just like one or two. I'm learning that diversity and representation are two different things. Mm. Diversity is being able to add the colors to the rainbow and check off the box that we did that and people want to stop, but you don't want to see me. And to see me is to see my culture and to see where I am coming from. So the turning point for me was when I was a freshman in college, I went to a historically black campus. I went to Prairie View A&M for a year. And I remember putting this 300 page manuscript on my professor's desk and she folded her hands over it. It still causes me trauma. She, she folded her hands <laughs> over it forever. and she said to me, how many black characters are in this book? She didn't even look at it. She hadn't read it. Hmm. And I was so offended. I didn't write for two years. I couldn't answer. I could not answer her. And there was something wrong about that. And that was the beginning of the exorcism that every time I went back to my writing, I had to question who these characters were and in questioning these characters, who I was. And I was a kid. I didn't have answers to that. Um, and my parents who were not readers did not have answers to that. So the clicking point to me was the character of Anna Rains 
in Forging a Nightmare. She was unapologetically Black. And she was like, Patty, get your act together. Okay? Because for Black women, we're loud and we're this and we're that. But no one talks about how we love so fiercely, how we are so devotedly loyal to family and to friends. No one talks about that. When you get in trouble, then it's okay to bring the loud Black woman into it. Okay, and you shouldn't be so loud. You shouldn't be so in charge. But that's how it was back in slavery times because it wasn't the black woman being sold off. It was her husband. It was her children. She was the patriarch or the matriarch, I should say, of the family. And she had to be strong because she's the one that was left behind to take care of what was left and raise that back up. And that was Annabelle Rains. And Annabelle was saying to me, get your act together because Michael, was originally white. Wow, was, really? Uh, yes, he was. And the book just didn't click until mm. Annabelle was like, that's why he can't handle his business. I need a black man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's okay. So interesting that this main character for listeners, Michael, who, when I read this, I, I picture like a Will Smith kind of character. He's like, He's like on the job, very, very men in black. Like he's doing the job of figuring things out, but then saying like these little funnies. So it's unfathomable to me that he was ever white. But I, but yeah, that happens. I've, you know, written sketches where I'm like, wait a minute, why, why would this person even be in here? I, I would go to horse shows. I ride horses and I would go to horse shows and you just, you try to be small because people, they don't see you. They don't see your horse. They see, oh you're a different color. And it's not so much now because you're seeing more and more African-American riders out there. But back when I was riding, that was not the case. Um, and I remember a lady wanted to take pictures of the horses who were being stabled behind us. So I took her back and had her take pictures of the horses, invited her out to have a Coke. And we sat down, we were talking. And the first thing she says to me is like, well, how long have you worked for these people? Mm -hmm. No, no, honey, they work for me. Mm -hmm. Two of the horses that you saw belong to me. And I'm dressed in boots, breeches, show coat, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, the hair is in a hairnet. And I'm kind of like, how do you make that jump that I, you know, and it's happened before. I'm, I'm brushing a horse, you know, it's my horse. Well, how long have you worked here? This is mine. I don't work here. They work for me. So it's... It, Patty, I cannot tell you, I, I work, I've worked at a, um, you know, before the pandemic, I was laid off, but for about the last like three to four years, I worked at a yoga studio and I would be sitting at the front and they'd be like, well, when's our teacher coming? It's like, I'm the teacher. I'm, I'm in full. <laughs> They're like, well, it says Amber on the schedule. I'm Amber. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Like, just like all the assumptions or like, well, you know, class is about to start soon. Is our teacher going to be here soon? And I'd be like, yep, she's coming. And then I would love to see their face when I would walk into the room and be like, all right, let's begin in child's pose. They're like, oh, no. I, I was once asked, was I there to clean? Because we have like a, a cleaning team at the studio. And I'll admit, I was on the cleaning team for a very short amount of time before I became a teacher. But then I was teaching for like a year or two, sitting behind the desk. And somebody was like, hey, can you clean up studio two? And I was like, oh, I'm not a member of the cleaning team. They're like, oh, well, well what are you... I'm teaching. So I, I think every black person who was in, you know, just like a, a non-typical black space. So any space outside of their home, 
they've probably been asked like, what, what are you doing here? Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And it's, it's even worse when it's turned on the children. Uh, I'm working on a short story right now for Friction Magazine. And the story is based on a true story that one of my children came to tell me because she was troubled. She was working in a Starbucks and it was the time we were supposed to wear our masks. Mm-hmm. And a white lady came up to the counter and the kid following the rules said, ma'am, could you please lift your, your mask? And the lady looked at the kid's manager and said, this is why N-words should not work where people, white people are served. And the manager was kind of like, <laughs> put your mask up or you can leave the store. And the lady, instead of just leaving, had to throw down, I should pee all over your floor so that your end has to clean it up. She said that to a 17-year-old child. She and said the manager that- didn't immediately They were told, out. Where to go, you're gone, get out. Oh, get- my goodness. But the trauma for that child- mm-hmm. <sighs> You can do what you want to to me because I can respond. If I'm tired, I'm not going to bother with you or you summon the demon and it's over and there'll be a blood <laughs> sacrifice, okay? Yeah. But when for a child, I'm, I'm coming for you. That just gets me from zero to 150 right away. You don't mess with Agreed. children. Mm. You know, um, when we were corresponding over email, you you mentioned like all these things that you do for your students and um, specifically like after school programs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so pumped to have Patty on our show because um, like you you do you you are a teacher that doesn't apparently doesn't leave at the end of the day, like ever you you run like a bunch of after school clubs. Can you talk a little bit about those uh, after school clubs and how they've informed you as a writer? Well, what's nice is we have a club time built in. So oh, okay. I, but I always show up an hour early. Of course. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't even I, lie to I, us. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have a planning period because there are always children um, and they always need their Miss Jackson. So, but one of the clubs that I run is the Beautiful People, which is for LGBTQIA plus children to create safe people, safe advocates and safe spaces. And we have spent a lot of time working for our trans students, getting them the rights to use the bathroom of their choice, because we used to force kids to go to the other ends of the universe, to go to the bathroom or to go to the nurse's office. And we still have some people that feel that's the way it should be. Get over yourself. Okay. Get over yourself. And um, even within the community, we talk about like the F word. I don't like the F word. And even when they use it among themselves. No, Miss Jackson is not like that, and you shouldn't like it either. And the reason why is there are kids outside the community who want to be advocates. And if they see you behaving this way, they may use this language trying to get in. And now you're offended. We can't do that. So we have to model the kinds of behavior that we want for our advocates who want to come in. Um, and my kids do these awesome presentations on like um, lesbian pirates that I had knew nothing about the history. It was fantastic. Um, about the gay uprising in New York, um, um, LGBT contributions. It's just so wonderful. And some of the trans students have also talked about, you know, body dysmorphia, dysmorphia um, what that means, binders, how to wear binders. Miss Jackson has learned a lot. And I always have a burning <laughs> question. The um, children teach us, yes. They really, they really, if we are open to hear it, and a lot of adults are not, which is sad. Um, I also have the anime club because I'm a, I'm an otaku and I love Japanese anime and I just don't have the time to like 
curate my list. So I say to the children, what should I be watching? Oh, miss, you gotta be watching this, you gotta watch this. So um, we have a Discord club, which is also really nice. This year we're stuck with only two clubs. I'm really sad about that because my other club was my Dungeons and Dragons club. And that was so much fun bringing the next generation of players along to just be cool players. And the thing that was really cool about D&D is I had some kids that were socially awkward and I had some kids that um, were autistic. And this is where they could showcase themselves, learn about social interactions, problem solve. And it was just, it was cool. So that's the class I had to let go or the club I had to let go. Um, Cause we can only have two this year. And I, I was sad. I was sad for that. So hopefully in the future, we can have clubs, a lot of clubs again. I had like four or five different clubs. I had the Korean pop club. <laughs> I knew nothing about K-pop music, but and all I know now is BTS. Yes. BTS is everything, but they would do the little dances in my classroom. And I would just sit back and I would just watch. I was exhausted by the time it was all over, but oh my gosh. Just being with kids. This is lots of fun. I, it's so, it's encouraging to hear that you saw yourself, not necessarily the leader of these clubs, but you created this, this space for them. Yeah. Right. And I think like that type of education is very progressive. This idea of like standing back, but creating the space or creating restrictions, right? Like you still have to model certain kinds of behaviors because young children can sometimes not understand like, a, you know, contextual um language and so i think but but just providing that space is so powerful and i i mean it's yeah it's just those kids love you yeah (laughs) amber i and i know they love you alone you know in the midst of a book launch coming racist troll attacks um an election that came up my week was a kid brought another kid to my classroom and the kid breaks down hyperventilating and sobbing because her mother told her, God doesn't love you because you're gay. So I'm dealing with that at lunchtime. The next day, another kid comes in and falls out on my floor. I can't deal with this anymore. Forget grading papers, forget trying right. to do college recommendations. I'm trying to start class and I have a kid who is having a seizure and my kids are community. We take care of each other. Every soldier crosses the line. Nobody's left behind. So I didn't even realize he was having a seizure, but because of my modeling, my kids were like, miss, he's not feeling well. I'm reaching for the phone. There are three kids standing over him to make sure he doesn't fall. And other two kids fanning him because he gets hot when he has these episodes. And I'm just thinking, This is how a community comes together. Mm -hmm. And there are some adults who need to be looking in on this because politics didn't matter. Orientation didn't matter. Color didn't matter. Here's a person in need right now. And what can we do to make this bad experience as good as it can possibly be? Correct. Children teach us that we're missing. And nobody has their phone out just recording yep. it to be like, no. well, if he, if he dies, I got it on, I, I'm gonna go viral. It's like, what, how did we get here? And, and that's an, a lesson that like, we, we need to learn as adults too. just like, just different bystander things that have obviously 
you know, it, it's hard because on a Chicago train or whatever, like we might not know each other, but I, I even stopped riding the train because I was like, if somebody attacked me right now, like what would happen? Nobody would move. Everybody would just try to like either look away or they would record me being physically hurt. Like I hurt. just like, let me try to ride the bus so that that way, at least there's like a front to back and my chances of something happening to me. But you know, you'll just see things happen and you're like, when do we, like, we all ride this bus every day. If something ever happened, like, would we react? I don't know. And kids know that lesson like way better than we do as adults. Do your students read, uh, uh, not read, have, have they read things that you've written or have they read Forging a Nightmare? What's really neat is Forging a Nightmare truly has been a journey with my children. And there are about 20 kids that have read it. I just heard from a student that said she reread it. And she read the original book, not its final form right now. But about three or four years ago, I had my first creative writing class. And we kill creativity in school. We kill it. And when kids come to my class, I'm like, okay, go ahead and write your stories. Hmm. Crickets. So we have to teach mind mapping. We have to teach creativity all over again. It's like making a fire with like flint and wood. Seriously, it's that difficult. So I'm mind mapping and I'm doing this story about a guy named Michael and he's an FBI agent and these people with 12 fingers and pull I'm making this up as I go. And so I turn around, oh. like, are you ready to go? Are you good? And they're looking at me. I'm like, what? Are you going to write that story, miss? <laughs> I'm not worried about writing a story. I'm worried about you writing a story. Let's go. So one of my students actually challenged me to join Wattpad. And um, I love that online platform. And I got on Wattpad and I started doing some Japanese anime from, it's called Psychopaths. Wait, could you share what, what that is? I, I'm genuinely, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with Oh, Psychopaths. Oh my gosh. It's wonderful. Psychopaths is this wonderful science fiction story where a computer decides how calm you are, your stress level. And if your stress level goes too high up, you have to go to a facility to be treated, to bring that back down. It's called your psychopath, your level. I think you have to be like between 50 and 60. And there's a hue, there's a color that goes along with it. And you want to make sure you stay in the blue. And sometimes your psychopath gets so high that now you're a criminal. You might actually commit a crime. So now we have to lock you up for the safety of the society. And psychopath is about this cop. There are two cops on two different sides. One's an inspector and her psychopath is very good. She's the handler. And then she has this guy named Kogany, who used to be an inspector, but now he's an enforcer. His psychopath has gotten too high. And now they use him as a dog to hunt down other criminals. And they have this special gun that when they point at you, it analyzes where your psychopath is. And if it's too high, it will stun you. Or if it's super high, it will turn you into like chunky salsa on the wall. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing show. And a kid dared me to do some fan fiction for it. And I thought, all right, let's go. And I had a really good time with it, but that led to a contest, an online novella contest where I entered the first 20,000 words of Forging a Nightmare and took second place. Oh my gosh. At, so, the, at the dare of your children. At the dare of children. <laughs> Wow. Children. Those kids are like, probably like, I better be in the acknowledgement yeah, yeah. section. Yeah, you better give me some royalties. <laughs> well, those sigils that you see in every chapter, yes. that was done by one of my students. 
Oh my gosh. I started memorizing them because, well, because especially for Michaels, it's like the, the line with the teeth. <laughs> like, and then um, Anaba's is like the, like I, I slowly started like cross-referencing them. Um, but yeah, You're we're good. gonna show those to the list. I, I, I think I might remember like two or three more, but everybody else I would just sort of cross-reference them. Yeah. Kids did that? Yeah, just I, and just for- Gabrielle Transitella, she's a wonderful kid. Even before the book was picked up by an agent, you know, I commissioned her to go ahead and do those for me. She did such a wonderful job. And as I picked up an agent, got a publisher, and we started moving towards the actual publication, I sent her files to my agent. And Sarah Megaba was like, oh, I like these. Let's send these to the publisher. Publisher loved them. Where are we putting these? What can we do with them? So when you get the book and you see it on the back, you'll see the four horsemen sigils. And that was my kid. One of my favorite kids. Kids so, need like their own publishing house at this point. You're like, yeah. I don't even care if the publishing house approves this. Like, do the kids like it? Yes or no? That's I, yes. awesome. I think that's and where Watt. Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's where Wattpad, I think, comes in, in in many ways. But just for our listeners, um, part of the magic system in this, uh, this a novel uh, is like sigil magic. And it's based in uh, Enochian. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Well, hey, listeners. Now, I know you're probably listening to the Sci-Fi Sci podcast on Apple or Spotify, maybe even Amazon Music, but now you can listen to this show and, <laughs> you know, your second favorite podcast on Vodacast. Yes, that's V-O-D-A-C-A-S-T. Voda, like Yoda. You can download the app free of charge and dive headfirst into an immersive digital experience. So check out Vodacast. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. Um, and so, uh, we can actually, uh, we can sort of jump into the book. Yeah. Uh, now we're about halfway. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about the magic system in that? Um, because you sort of told us like how the sigils are like drawn, which is so cool. It's inspired by the kids, but how you came up with, um, that system in general and how you ch uh, chose to go sort of the Gnostic route of the book of, uh, of Enoch. Um, yeah, if you can talk a little bit about that. I am not a religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. And I know from um, various spiritual beliefs that the drawing of symbols is very important, whether it's containment circles, whether it's summoning circles and that sort of thing. And I wanted something that someone could invoke the blessings of an angel um, if they needed to. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the angels had these really cool signatures that you could draw very quickly and you're invoking their protection or their blessing, but couldn't that be perverted in some way? Couldn't someone draw it a certain way that it gives you the reversal of that? And how could you make that even more powerful? Okay, let's draw it in blood. And if you draw it in blood, you are truly invoking the power of that particular angel. You want their attention for some reason. So it's, it's really quite simple. Um, as long as you know the symbols themselves, you, you can draw them. And Michael ends up knowing what the symbol is for his father because he's seen it every day of his life. It's the logo of their farm, but he had no idea of its true intent or its true meaning. Yeah. And we sort of, I think we, that's, uh, we get the, that meeting, I think at the end of the book towards, towards, the the ending of the book. And it's really, really beautiful. Um, just for our listeners. So this book is a, uh, 
it starts out as a almost like a police procedural supernatural thriller and Very then MIB. yeah yeah and yeah. then you sort of like throw it out and it becomes this whole meditation of like the gnostic um cosmo cosmology and the christian mythos and it's just it becomes like this huge huge story um and it mostly focusing on um a warring faction of half angels called nephilim and divergent rogue angels called gregory did i did i pronounce that correctly perfectly okay all and right these are not like you know the angels we grew up seeing these are not the christmas pageant angels these are like gargoyles uh <laughs> i cannot if you've seen like midnight mass on netflix or or lucifer you were yeah. saying like these angels aren't cute they're not gonna prick you on valentine's day just to give you a visual <laughs> yeah it and you actually have a whole funny scene where uh i think you're talking you're writing about the cherubim and you're like these are not like like tiny little, they're like massively tall, but um, could you just talk a little bit about uh, where the cosmology came from for you? Like how did how did you sort of map that out um, and sort of what what texts were you drawing from and, and things of that nature? Um, a family friend told my mother that uh, she couldn't join their church because she wasn't baptized correctly. Um, mm. The sprinkling of the water wasn't good enough and I got mad and decided I was gonna break stuff. Cause that's you like little Nas exit. <laughs> Absolutely. And because you want me to believe in your ghosts, but you're all about how something was done and not the symbol symbolism of it. So I thought it's time to break ish. It's time to break stuff. And who I turned to to help me do that was Dante Alighieri who wrote The Divine Comedy, mm. in particular, mm. The Inferno, which is just my favorite book in the world. My hope is to go to Italy someday and actually study under a master and learn every little nuance about the books. I know I'm missing stuff, um, but I decided to just break the lore whatsoever and bring the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology into the Christian mythology. Early in the book, Samael and who's the angel of death and Michael are fighting these Titans. And Michael's like, titans you know what are titans what are these greek things doing down here and basically samuel says to him all the contenders all the pantheons have existed and they're all in hell because they were god's rivals and the christian god cast them down into the one place he could put them prison hell but they're still there and those um creatures that existed also as far as the the cyclops and the minotaur they were nephilim they were created by angels that were being naughty. They weren't supposed to transgress with humans, but they did. But they were characters that were bad. There was something bad about those particular angels. And thus, their children came out bad. You have the Minotaur with the horns, the bull's head attacking people, creature violence. You have the Cyclops as well. And you also have other creatures um, that are known throughout Greek and Roman mythology, Cerberus, Charybdis, Scylla. Um, and they're there as well, but they are fallen angels. They appeared because they were in these different motifs of, of the mythology, acting on God's behalf, interfering with these particular pantheons. Um, it's just, there's so much. I even get lost. I'm trying to tell you stuff about my new book, and that's probably really, really naughty. But I will, I will give this. <laughs> I will give this. 
the mythology continues. The bad guy in my next book is Uriel. You know her sister very well, Medusa. She's a seraphim. She was a fallen angel. Um, so you have these tiers of angels who have their rivalries among each other and um, just not treating each other very well and not treating anyone who doesn't look like them very well. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. I can't yes. quite put my hand on where I've heard something like that. I I really love that because I remember as a kid, I, I also grew up, um, I'm not sure if you were raised in Alabama, you said your father was from there, but I grew up Southern Baptist in Georgia. And I, so we probably had similar uh, upbringings. And I remember going to church and then asking my dad things like, okay, but where did the dinosaurs fit in all of this? Or, you know, just little things where they were like, well, we can't believe in this and that. And I was just like, how is Hercules a thing? But then the, I, I don't under, I'm not understanding how all of these can have like texts and uh, proof and evidence. And then, but one has to refute the other if you want to believe in one. So I really enjoyed your, uh, just how this this is not this is not a story where it's like your grandma's hell everybody like this hell is like you know, like Ben at one point Ben was like I've never wanted to go to hell so badly in my life after reading yeah, this novel it sounded like a good place like he <laughs> so and and again just for our listeners so uh, the story follows two characters uh, Michael who unbeknownst to him sort of in the book he he's you know, investigating this serial killer. And it turns out that he's a Nephilim. And that's when the book sort of shifts and Michael's sort of discovering his heritage and all this cosmology. And then he gets a, um, a protector or, and a friend, um, uh, you know, Annabelle, right? Um, Annabelle. 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 <laughs> sorry. Wow. Annabelle. Thank you. And sort of, it follows their relationship. Uh, but one of the things that Michaels discovers is that he sort of has, um, I guess like a house in hell, but it's, it's like really nice, you know, like, like there's like servants. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, Oh yeah, this, this sounds pretty good. And I, I like, also, I just love how the fact that this all came about of someone's like putting a very strict understanding of this is how religion should work. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to make my own religion. And uh, the, the only thing though, I, yeah, Britt, yeah. I, my, my question, I guess for you, Patty is like, I, I guess like, do you, do you think people are going to read this book and think it's real? Because I really think some people are going to accuse you of like a heresy or like people are going to be like, wait, this is actually real because there's one belief that I actually grew up with which was that the old gods like Thor and Odin were actually demons. Like that was taught to me as fact. Oh, and like, wow. yeah. in evangelical Christianity. Yes. So wow. I'm just, are, are you ready for the heat uh, for starting a new cult or uh, being accused of heresy? Or are you used to that by now? Um, I'm so used to that right now being a prey animal in the country anyway. Um, but someone on Wattpad said that my book was delightfully heretical. And I have always remembered that delightfully heretical. And I say bring the heat because you always want to talk about proof. So break out your religious periodic table and show something to me and prove me correct or wrong. Um, I'm ready for that. Other than that, I'm going to break ish. I'm sort of waiting for my little black parchment postcard from the Pope going, Patty. You're excommunicated. 
we don't have a party that night. So I'm just right. Like, no. Um, because who are you? I, I, I yeah. hate this. I don't You're care. Like, my how book people- is going to be banned. I know it's, yes. I know it's coming. Yes. I had a child announce in a discussion that she worshiped Poseidon and I thought, oh my God, here it comes. People are about to lose their minds. Kids didn't say anything. They started asking her questions and that's why the kids are our teachers. And I just remembered how wonderful and pure that was. And there was another girl who was super religious and she wasn't feeling well. And the same kid who worshiped Poseidon brought her crystals over. And the kid who's super religious can't watch The Wizard of Oz, can't watch Harry Potter because there are witches in it. And I thought, oh, do you stop this now? Do you? (laughs) Before the the parent call. The crystals came out, you know, the healing came out. And I'm fascinated because I'm watching. The religious kid loved it and said that she was actually feeling better. And so so I am ready for it because you can't prove to me anything people want to talk about biblical morals what about people who don't do the bible because there mm-hmm. are plenty who don't do the bible how about just morals and just being good to people and staying in your lane and minding your business unless somebody needs you even a stranger on the train who might need you um so yeah i'm ready bring the heat but most science fiction and fantasy writers are going to just absolutely love this and they're going to love the reinvention of myth the reinvention of religion, because who's to say that it wasn't like that? Um, Like for instance, someone challenged me about the four horsemen and where they came from. And to make a long story short, the four horsemen came from the angels who were guarding the garden of Eden when Lucifer got in. And their punishment was they became the afflictions. They became the four horsemen of the apocalypse as their punishment for what they had done. Their first task was to destroy Eden. It all makes logical sense. The experiment was ruined. We have to trash it now, right? And for their sin, Adam and Eve were cast out and they were now going to suffer. And what better to suffer than the afflictions, pestilence, war, famine, and death. And so, yeah, it follows this logical logical, um, method and Dante would be proud, I think. <laughs> I agree. I even like the re-inverting the whole Adam Eve story because, you know, growing up in the church, it was like, and if Eve hadn't done this, and if Eve, it was like classic, let's just bash this woman and let's bash women for all eternity. So I really appreciated those parts of the story where you were like, Adam and Eve's transgressions, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is how this should actually be taught so that the world doesn't hate and want to kill women all the time. It it's that and it, there's a lot of that in here. Like it, I think for people who like his dark materials, for people who liked Good Omens, Lucifer, like this is what you should be reading. Like it really, it really, oh man, I'm and those that's like my favorite kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing that I really like is that um, you don't you take us for to heaven like very very shortly in this book, um, but. I like how you've created all these factions. It feels very Game of Thrones of that way, where you have like, right, you have the Nephilim, you have the Gregory, but then you have angels who are sort of different. And then you have Lucifer who's different. And you're sort of, you're not really, sh- you're not really sure the, where heaven and hell stands in this battle between the Gregory and the Nephilim. And so it, in that way, it felt like, oh, like you 
there's so much world building in that and a lot of promise to where this is going. And so I was just curious, like, um, when, when you were like writing about heaven and hell and sort of like how God isn't really the merciful, loving God that we think he is like, can you talk a little bit about sort of playing with that? Because that felt very much like, Oh, like I, I want to know what this God looks like because he's not like omniscient, like omnipotent as, as we're led to believe. So you can, can you talk a little bit about like heaven and hell and, and their place within um, this mythos that you've created? I see God kind of as the CEO and CEOs are busy, so they can't know everything. And they have their generals out there to put feelers out into the world as to what is going on. What if they don't tell you stuff? Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going on. Um, God said, the Nephilim are bad. I want them taken out. Okay. So the Gregory said about doing that very happily, you know, we'll destroy them. And then Enoch came and said, Hey, um, on behalf of the Nephilim, they're really not bad folks. And, and you really, you really shouldn't be doing that. So God was like, all right, cool. Cease and desist, cut it out. Okay. Um, well, two things. One, the Gregory lied to God and said, all of them are bad. All of them are terrible because of their pride. They were hurt that Gregory had caused this to happen. So God's going to believe his generals because the CEO believes their generals. And that's why he issued the edict. And then when Enoch said, hey, cut that out, knock it off. And God's like, okay, we'll stop that. Hey, stop that. Stop killing those guys. And then he's over here doing his own thing. Not knowing that Gregory, his generals are still out there killing these people on the down low, very quietly and making it look like a serial killer or a natural disaster or some other thing. Um, he's busy. He's doing his own thing. And he kind of has to let the free will play in too. You know, it'll all work itself out in the end is sort of what this CEO thinks. It'll work itself out. But I'm going to put some fail safes in the way to make sure everything is good to go. I'm going to send the Christ and the Christ is going to do their thing. Well, the Gregory killed him. They maneuvered it in such a way, cut off, done. And so the next coming would have been Michael to attempt to save the Nephilim and bring them back into the fold and have them find a place. They tried to kill him too. I, I love that. Like every, it's, it's feels very much like you're rewriting an entire Bible. <laughs> I love it. And, and it feels in many ways, like very familiar, but also like incredibly um, alien as well. And I don't know, it's so cozy. And speaking of, I, I would like to hear more just, um, it, it does feel like a rewrite in the best way. I would love to hear your process with sort of creating language um, in the story, or maybe, I don't know, that language could already exist or something. But I, as, as Zuri, began, Zuri began to speak and things, I would start remembering like, oh, I know that this is an insult now because I'm, I'm learning the language with Michael as the story progresses. So did you have a linguistics background or, or how, how were you able to like make that language feel just like so alive? I love language. I do not think I would have been smart enough to take linguistics, linguistics though, but I love language. But Ziri is Tuareg. He would actually come from Northern Africa, Mali. So when he speaks, that's a real language. That is Tamale. Um, and I was horrified when they were talking about the audiobook 
and then I would have to give a pronunciation guide. And I'm thinking, we don't speak Tomashek. And I must have gone through a dozen different researchers in the country before I found a gentleman who could help me out. Um, and he actually sent me the audio recordings of the actual Tuareg um, or the Tomashek language, which was wonderful, which was great. Because I wanted to do honor to those people um, because they are beautiful people because it's the same thing. Um, the Tuareg folks had slaves as well. They had black slaves. There was intermarriage. There was freeing. So you have some uh, Tuareg that are very light skinned. You have some that are very black, are black, very dark skinned. Um, and I wanted to make sure to give honor to those who had been the descendants of slaves. As far as the Enochian, Enochian is a language. It is an invented language and it's quite distinct. It's very difficult to say too. Really hard consonant. I don't like it. <laughs> but in any case, I was able to find a translator and I was able to pinpoint certain words that I wanted to use. For instance, there's the word dods um, and that means to vex. And I thought, wouldn't that be funny if you basically said, that's giving me the shit. I hope I can say that. Um, mm -hmm. But you're, Yeah, you're, swearing's you're, allowed. Oh, yeah, sw oh, swear, swear as much as you want. That for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, break it. Yes. So um, oh, you're giving me the dods. You're giving me the shits. And I thought that would be so, so wonderful. But there were other words that I had to make up because I didn't have all the leeway that I necessarily needed. Like the word niche means to come or to summon. Um, and that's how you summon your nightmare niche mm -hmm. and you say the creature's name and then it's supposed to come to you. And I teach this to my creative writing students. If you want a particular word, go to Google Translate. It is your friend. Pick your six different languages and look that word up in six different languages or more and then mismatch, interchange, mm. swap syllables and go from there. I started doing that back in my Star Wars days when I created the world Socorro and I started using the Sakoan language and I just had a really good time with it. I just, I'm not as smart as Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people do, like, uh, it's so interesting because language can be like that. Like, you know, Ben's a, a, a huge Star Trek buff. And so like when people are like, I can speak Klingon, I'm like, how, how have you watched like that many episodes, but it's, it's there like the the fandom is there and so i was very curious about like is this a real language or did she like fully create this from the ground some up? parts are real some parts are made up and ben shame on you for not taking amber to see hamlet and klingon oh god i would never oh i would that would just be um yeah divorce would become soon after no is that a thing yeah it's a serious yeah. thing yeah it's, it's been translated so cool. I can barely watch Hamlet like in any form except the Lion King. <laughs> so I think that would be very I, hard for me to. I, I think I've played but... Cleon Opera for you before. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a thing. I, I I try not to subject Amber to too much of that. Are you kidding? We have a whole sci fi and yeah, podcast. I know, so, but right. yeah, that's why I'm like other things I have to like. Star Trek, I feel like, is a boundary that, you know you won't cross yeah but I well am, you could cross but i might lose my life i am see here's the thing i'm committed to doing like there of, of course there are some like conventions coming up i'm committed to doing like the full cosplay fantasy and things like that i just don't want to half step it and ben likes to half step sometimes so when we go to the things i'm like 
we know these characters need to be like i need months to prepare and and the week before he'll be like oh this con's coming up this weekend you want to go and i'm like yeah but i'm not dressing up because that that's scary like people do not half step at these conventions right they do not they do not yeah I, i think yeah go 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 I was going to say, shame on you. You do need time to prepare. I remember being at the Renaissance Fair and it was open costume day. So you had stormtroopers walking around with knights. You had Chewbacca walking around with the mud beggars, which was wonderful. And then I saw these two people walking along and people were looking at them. They didn't know. I knew exactly who it was. It was Ash from Evil Dead and his girlfriend. And the guy was like, you're the only person that knew. I'm like, it's because I am am well-versed in these things. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and I think like just fan culture sometimes can be intimidating because I yes. I I don't I know a lot, so it's like easier. I like this thing references this thing or that thing references that thing, and Amber's like, oh my goodness, like r- relax, you have to, you know. Right, but if we're gonna do it, I need it to be like I need to call a makeup artist. Like we need to set aside funds. We need the the the, the needle and thread to be out, and I just feel like I I, w- I would be afraid to half step at these things because it's like not a game well and one of the coolest things uh so um on your website everyone will put your website in the show notes but you are dressed up as a jedi knight on a horse it's the coolest fucking thing and in this book um you have these horse like supernatural human morphing creatures called nightmares which are just they're just so much fun and and um so can you just talk a little bit about your like love of horses and how that shows up in your cosplay as well and how it shows up in uh forging a nightmare as well all of it just talk about horses <laughs> i have loved horses since i was three years old and i have been riding since i was 10 and showing and i've had many nightmares in my life and when i wrote forging a nightmare the centerpiece of the book was to be the horse the nightmare because my first horse was my confessor. That was my boyfriend. Hmm. Um, I didn't tell mom and dad a lot of stuff, but I told him everything because there was no judgment. Um, And as long as there were cookies, there were lots of hugs. (laughs) Um, And I've met many horses, some that were terrible, some that were frightening, and some that can bring me to tears that I can remember. Um, So horses are humbling because you can't make them do anything. They do what they do because of training or because they really, really love you. And the horse that you saw me on, his name is Indiana. We call him Indy. Um, He was a racehorse. He is a great grandson of Secretariat, but he just didn't have the love to run. Indy is as grumpy as you can come by. If you are not correct in what you ask, I am not doing it for you but he's beautiful. And I remember one day I had a 101 degree fever. So what I do, I went horseback riding because <laughs> it makes me feel better. So I'm, I'm carrying along and I'm falling off the side and he comes to a dead stop and I straighten myself out and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go again. He wouldn't move. So I'm digging with the spur. He wouldn't move. And I'm like, oh, you got more sense than I do. You need to get me back to the barn. So I loosen my reins and to the door he goes. And normally when I open the door and I'm sitting on him, that's exciting. And we start to dance a little bit, not one dance. Cause mm. he knew I was through walked me up to the barn and you know, 
that day was a little costume contest and I wore my Jedi outfit and I didn't have a Sith outfit because y'all I'm a Sith princess. We don't do <laughs> Jedi. The only good Jedi is a dead Jedi. I'm Kylo Ren all the way. And anyway. first folks. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I had this lightsaber and everyone was like, turn the lightsaber on, turn the lightsaber on. Everybody was okay with that, except Indy. Indy was sure something was trying to kill us. And how fast can I go to get away from it? Oh, I can't get away from it. It's still buzzing in my ears. It was, if you look at the pictures, he's so grumpy because he's sure something's trying to kill him. And I'm assuring him that it's not. Um, so Annaba is a mixture of Indy. He, she's a mixture of a horse named Clay that I owned who just was this love and was afraid of nothing. Absolutely afraid of nothing. And that is Annaba. She is absolutely fearless. And another horse named Nico that if he couldn't find a way past whatever the issue was, he was going to go through it. I'm just going to go through it. And we were trail riding one day and he got caught in this monkey vine. It was up to his haunches and I just thought I don't have a pocket knife I don't know what to do so I got off and I started walking away because I was despondent he was like Schwarzenegger pulled a tree down um so it's all these different horses that are just mixed into one and mixed into the other nightmare as well but Annaba is special because she has a human form the other nightmares do not and there's a reason behind it that I do talk about in my other book. Um, you know, the first lady of Eden was not Eve. Mm-hmm. It was Lilith. And Lilith is now the consort of Lucifer. And she was the first nightmare. She has a human form. Who do you think Annaba is descended from? Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, should we cut this out? I feel... Because because Lilith is in no, the book. No, this and, just baited uh, me. But if that's, I heard this, I'd be like, you know what? Let me pre-order. <laughs> but I feel like Lilith, Lilith, when Lilith and um, Annaba meet, there's like pretty intense tension, right? Like they, there's a, a really you have a really cool ballroom scene, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I'm like now I'm excited to read the second book. <laughs> I'm like, where where is that tension coming from? Like, uh, sort of exploring the tension between parents. Like that's definitely a theme we have have in here as well. Um, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> okay. Very exciting. I mean, I'm, I cannot wait to like buy this because even the way Ben printed it out required us to do a lot of like looking at the page, turning it, flipping it this way, you read <laughs> it because we shared a PDF and it was a joy. It was I, like I could tell I, w- I was reading a little bit faster than Ben just because of our work schedules and I would I would hear him like laugh at something from the other room and I'd be like oh I know what part he just hit or or when we read together in bed I would see you like touch your chest like this I'm like I know I know I I I, I was shook as well during that part so I can't wait to just like buy the hard copy and I'm getting excited even looking at the picture behind you um we'll post this to the patreon for people to see but just like to put just the full cover image with the story is going to be just like a next level experience for me similar to the student of yours who like read it again cannot wait cool um, so it, it was sorry. funny because the, the pacing of the novel you guys were talking about how fast to read it was some people are not real happy about that but 
I'm not the kind of reader where I want you to spin tires for me because I'll start skipping. If you explain the, the pyramid too long or what somebody was wearing every other day and there's a mummy underneath the pyramid, I want to get to the mummy. And it was over the summer that they were doing an Indiana Jones special and I love those movies. So I'm watching and I just started laughing and I thought, you went to the George Lucas, Steven Spielberg School of Writing because that's how my writing is, you know? Tell you a little mm. bit about where you are and then let's go. That's all we need in the oh. age of like TikTok and all the things. That's kind of like, I hate when people are like, no, like you got to watch this show. It gets so good during season three. It's like, what? Season three? Wait, I, season three is when the plot thickens. Like I, I don't have it for you for nope. that. So I really appreciate it. But, and it wasn't, uh oh, I think we lost you for a minute or maybe you lost us. Can you still see us? Oh, yeah, sure can. And, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like it was YA. Like there were definitely times I was like, oh my God, what the hell is a quagmire? Like, let me look this up one more time. <laughs> Just like, th like the vocabulary is so rich and like the language is like so wonderful, but it is like pacing wise, it's a really nice quick read. And I mean, you could honestly knock it out in a day if you like went to a park. It's so captivating in that way. So, um. In these last few moments, we would love for you to just like plug your website, plug where people can find you and support you. And um, and maybe, I don't know, a shout out for the kids. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to shout out my babies then right away. I'm going to shout out my ladies from Paru. That would be Ida Gupta. That would be Christina Ellis, her sister Renee Ellis, and Olivia Patuk. And I would also like to shout out their advisor, uh, Ben Hodge, who is an acting teacher, by the way. Um, and as far as my website, you can find me on Facebook. Normally, I don't hang out there too often because I've been Instagramming, and anything I Instagram just gets sent to Facebook. Yeah. Um, but I do hang out on Twitter. I am neurotic about email. So if anyone sends me emails, you will hear back within 24 to 48 hours. Um, my website is still growing as far as, you know, stories and blogs and that sort of thing. Because, whoo, writing this other novel, we've been a little busy and chasing the racists, of course, to make sure they know their place. No banning books. We don't do that. Um, and please, November, um, at the end of November, we have Forging a Nightmare that's coming out. I'm hoping that it's very successful so that we can have its little brother come along because it's another nightmare book with a different nightmare and different characters who are just as cool and more mythology and more breaking of the religion-ish. Um, and a great story that was an exorcism for my father and some of the things that happened in his life when he was in Alabama. How's that? <laughs> That's great. Um, you, you mentioned that you're coming out with another short story. Uh, where could, uh, where could uh, listeners find that? Um, it's not out yet, but it okay. will be called Unmasked, and it will be coming out with Friction Magazine, which is a okay. really fantastic nonprofit organization. Um, they take their works into um, underprivileged schools, maximum security prisons, asylums, and that sort of thing, uplifting marginalized voices and bringing healing through writing to those who truly need it. Um, so donations are appreciated. Stories are appreciated. They are some of the coolest people. Danny Hedlund is the CEO of the Brinks Literary Project. You cannot find better people in the business. 
Awesome. That. We'll put a link to Friction as well. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, this book has gotten like good reviews from Publisher Weekly already. It's got good reviews from, from us, uh, from the kids, <laughs> from, students. from the students. Uh, yeah. Just a lot of um, uh, the woman who wrote uh, Enola Holmes. Uh, she gave it a shout out as well. Like, I'm really excited to see like the start of your writing career and like what else you're going to be giving to the world uh, because you've already given a lot with your teaching. And it's, I'm just very excited to see uh, where this adventure uh, takes you. And we get to read it. So thank you for that. Thank you so, so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side Podcast. Up next for episodes 63, 64, and 65, it's going to be a three-part series. So we'll be reading Lilith's Brood, which is a collection of three different stories. So the first of that series is going to be Dawn, okay? So you can check it out. You can get this book, you know, at your local library, support your independent bookstores, but you can also listen to it on audiobooks. You know I love me a good audiobook. So be sure to read Dawn of Lilith's Brood by Octavia Butler, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.